You know, normally I would start with yo, yo, yo. But Dan, since it's the season, watch what I'm going to do here. <laughs> ho, 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 Dan Nathan. It oh is goodness. Tuesday, December 14th. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined by Dan Nathan. This is Market Call Macro. Today we're going to be joined by the great, and he is great, Chris Vecchio, Senior Strategist at Daily FX. Today's Market Call is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex, Dan, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and of course, knockouts, and our friends at Open Exchange, because Dan, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And this matters because I got to tell you something, although it doesn't look like a lot's going on, a lot is going on, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, well, guy, about 10 times a year, a bunch of wise men, and they're predominantly men, they meet someplace in Washington, and they're Uh going, they meet behind closed doors, and then they come out after a day or two or something like that, and then they drop these pearls of wisdom, these kind of, these, uh, you know, these these statements about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and how they're going to affect our lives, you know, one way or another financially, and I know that you wait for these weeks, you know, like, you know, you just can't take it, right? And look at these headlines that we got. So it's the Fed. That's what we're talking about here. We're trying to get you a bit worked up here as we head into the end of the year. This is the last FOMC meeting of the year. It seems to be an important one. Look at all of the pressure put on these wise people here, guy. What's your take? What's going to come out of this Fed meeting this week? Fed meets for first time since (laughs) PAL signaled policy shift. That's Wall Street Journal. Central bankers are the biggest risks to stocks. Oh, Who could have guessed that in 2022? That's Bloomberg. And then CNBC, Dan, and bear with me for a second. The Fed will halt asset purchases by March and hike rates in June, this survey predicts. Now, I have my handy-dandy Google machine here, and I'm just going to read the definition of halt. Just bear it. Please indulge me. Halt, a noun, a suspension of movement or activity, typically a temporary one, or a verb. Bring or come to an abrupt stop, Dan Nathan, an abrupt stop. That's the definition of halt. Oh, maybe these all-knowing omniscient geniuses that we call our Federal Reserve and, and the governors thereof, maybe they don't know as much as they think. And maybe we're foolish to put such trust in these, but that's just me, Dan. I don't know. It's just yeah. Crazy. I mean, listen, guy, I, I kind of teed you up there and you know that I feel slightly different about, you know, the fed and what they're kind of there to do here and what I think that they're probably, you know, what their intentions are. And, you know, I guess the issue about the halting of the asset purchases, you know, they put this in place, you know, over a year ago. Right. And they were trying to kind of save the economy during the black hole of this pandemic. And they were buying what, $40 billion a month of, of mortgage-backed securities. Why? I don't know. And $80 billion, all right? They, they didn't want the housing market to kind of crater and kind of have a redo of the global financial crisis. And then we're buying $80 billion a month of treasuries, right? And so they're just trying, trying to keep monetary policy really, really easy. So the question is, you know, when was the Fed going to make a mistake, a, a policy mistake? Your point would be they made it once the economy was saved for all intents and purposes, right? And they had plenty of fiscal with the easy monetary policy, but why are they still doing this now? So these headlines are saying that the Fed has already shifted gears. Powell has indicated this stuff. We had that bout of volatility in the face of this new variant. Um, I think a lot of people would have expected them to get more dovish, but they got more hawkish. So they're going to reiterate this guy. They're going to reiterate it at a time where the S&P 500 is less than 2% from its all-time highs here, right? 
So I guess the question is, are we going to have a bit of a tantrum over the fact that the Fed has shifted gears to be a bit more hawkish right now? Well, it hasn't happened yet. I mean, to your point, the market is within earshot of an all-time high, but things happen quickly, as you know. So again, I, and you know where I stand, and I know where you yeah. stand, and I'm being serious for a second. I do believe the policy mistake was already made, and people will say the market will move on the back of a Fed mistake. I actually think that, may, again, the mistake has been made, and the way they're going now is the right course of action, albeit l- a lot later than they should have done it. We'll see how the market reacts. Look, James Gorman, who runs Morgan Stanley, a smarter person than I am, came out on CNBC yesterday with Wilf and said, hey, Fed's got to move. They're late to the dance. And if the market goes low on the back of it, that's just sort of the that's the damage we have to sort of tolerate. And he actually said their job isn't to make sure the market does well. Their job is to make sure the economy does well, which are completely mutually exclusive, in my opinion, given what's going on. So here's the S&P 500 chart. Again, that uptrend line is intact. We traded down to it effectively in October, bounced. One has to wonder, though, are we due for another retest? And I think the answer is yes, Dana, but I've thought that for a while. Yeah, I guess the other question is that last week we had that CPI print. It came in at 6.8%. If you look at where Fed funds are, they're basically at zero. And if you're just kind of doing the math there, Guy Adami, we have very, very negative interest rates. And I think the focus really on the two-year treasury versus the 10-year treasury is the one to really try to figure out. We've been talking about it on Market Call for some time now. And when you think about the fact that the two-year U.S. Treasury yield has rallied about 20 basis points in the last five weeks, and the 10-year has come in about the same amount during that time period, investors are basically saying, yes, we agree, right, that the Fed is going to be more hawkish, but we're less, uh, I guess we're less convinced about what longer-term growth might be, right? right? And so if you go back and you think about it, the Fed might, again, have already made that mistake. They may be hiking into a decelerating economy here. And what does that do? But going back to asset prices with the S&P 500, I mean, you know, if you think about it, and you talk about this all the time, Guy, what is the negative wealth effect, right, when the stock market comes in, when more and more U.S. households have a greater percentage of their assets in stocks? And we put we talked about that on Fast Money last night, yeah. the fact that so many people have been forced out the risk curve, not because they want to be, but because they have no choice but to be. And unfortunately, again, just my opinion, I think a lot of this money got put in the exact wrong time. And that's probably true in crypto. And that might be true in some of these ultra mega cap names that we talk about all the time. I mean, we're going to talk about Apple later, but you know, Apple very quickly has come off about $10. Now, I understand the run that's had to the upside. So $10 in, 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 in that scope is not a big deal, but things happen very quickly. So here's the S&P 500 chart. Next thing I think we need to look at, Dan, though, is the, is the Russell, the small cap, the RTY, which, again, had that false breakout. Kudos to you and kudos to Carter Braxtonworth, who pointed it out. They, you both thought it would be a false breakout. And we are at critical support levels, critical in the form of sort of 2100 on the downside, which has been supported a number of times. If we were to breach that for whatever reason, it's going to be really problematic, I think, for the broader market. And to your earlier point about what the bond market is saying, they're saying inflation is a problem on the one side and we have growth concerns on the other. And this RTY, that's what it's telling you. RTY is telling you that, wait a second, maybe there are growth concerns to the most economically sensitive names out there. 
Yeah, I think it encapsulates all those sorts of themes. And if you go back, you know, to that breakout that we had in early November, I think the narrative there was like it finally confirmed all of these new highs. There's been like 67 new highs this year in the S&P 500. I guess that's the most since 1995 and the most in like the last 30 or 40 years or something like that, um, excluding 1995. But back in March, when the Russell was at those all-time highs, rates were rising. The 10-year was actually 30 basis points higher than where it is. Is right now for all intents and purposes, guy. And the thought there was that the pandemic was going to be in the rearview mirror. And by this time, the global economy would be inflecting. And therefore, small caps, which had outperformed since the um, uh, vaccine news in November of 2020, were possibly going to lead the way because they had really kind of underperformed or so. So we have that false breakout. Rates are lower now. This thing acts like you know what, and it's down about 11, 12% from those highs. And I think it is signaling all of what we just talked about here and the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ better pay a little bit of attention. But the other thing I think is really interesting is let's talk in the midst of all of these inflation sort of readings that are running really hot. The Fed just dropped transitory. Did they just do it at the exact high? Look at crude oil here, man. This thing feels like it's broken a little bit here. You see that uptrend from last fall, okay? And it broke it. And now it's contending with it here. If it can't get through that that uptrend, which was support, now resistance. What's your take on crude? Do we test those low 60s again? Okay, so you know, you make an interesting point. You know, crude and inflation go hand in hand, and there's yeah. a lot of truth to that, clearly. Although I would say, and I think you would agree with this, crude is not nearly as important in terms of the inflation picture as it was maybe 15 or 20 years ago. That's a different conversation. To answer your next question, did the Fed retire transitory at the wrong time? You know, it's interesting. If you're short a stock and it goes up, 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 at a certain point, you get squeezed out of that short. It happens all the time. Same thing if you're long a stock and it continues to go down. At a certain point, you have to capitulate. And I think to a large extent, that's exactly what happened with the Federal Reserve. I mean, inflation got to a point where they capitulated and they said, you know, we're retiring transitory. And I think you're right. In terms of the data that comes out um, subsequently, they might have top-ticked this thing. They might have rung the bell. Now, the real question is, Are they going to have to bring it back? And that would be a huge problem, I think, because that would speak to their credibility. Maybe not so much their credibility, but their ability to sort of um, forecast things, right, and be in control of things. And I think if they were for whatever reason to bring it back, I think the market would call BS on them. In terms of crude, you know, I'm one of these people that still thinks higher. I think you make a great point. That trend line has been breached. We're on it right now. We're at a crossroads in terms of crude. And I think a lot of people still think higher. But I think the smart people like yourself say, wait a second, we've seen this movie before. You know, we're probably going to t- test 60 before we test 80 again. Yeah, well, here's the thing. And I'll just so well, let's got to look at gold here, guy, because if inflation, you know, we had the CPI, we had the PPI. They're really hot here. They're like highest on record, at least for the PPI today. CPI was highest in 40 years. What the heck is gold doing? I mean, gold's not telling you that inflation is a big worry from, from some certain uh, macro investors here. You see that downtrend. It has been in a little bit of an uptrend since the summer here. It's sitting right on it. It'd be interesting to see if gold breaks that uptrend and it's on its way back to 17. I just would guess, and we'll go back and we'll look at this here, that that means that inflation expectations topped out this month. It's interesting. People ask me all the time, if gold is such a great inflation hedge, we have the biggest inflation prints effectively in history in terms of year over year increases and gold's doing nothing. And I can't answer answer that question. I mean, gold should be much higher, significantly higher than it is. But the pushback is 
I think people are concerned, at least the gold players are concerned that if the Fed is going to act, if they're going to stop doing, you know, if they're going to be not going to be as accommodative and if rates go higher, that's actually bearish for gold. There's so many different cross currents here. The bottom line is we're at a huge uptrend line. Feels as though we're breaking down. I'd love to hear what Chris Vecchio says about it later. I still remain in a bull camp, but it's a hard camp to be in. You are, um, what's the word, prolific on the Twitter machine, Dan. And, you know, you went on a, what do they call that, on a tweet rant or rant? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, please, you would mentioned this. And I love, you know what? Well, I'm, I'm going to let the audience decide. But there's one thing in particular I love about this tweet. But please, Dan, speak to this. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I woke up this morning. I do what we all do here. I, I check my phone. I'm looking at the Twitter. I'm thinking about the stock market here. And I see um, this tweet. And, it, it you know, listen, it's it's pretty, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, just factual. I, I just was kind of taking some issue with the, uh, the idea increasing valuations this year. And he's looking at the top six names here. We know it. we've been talking about these numbers. It's pretty um, astounding when you think about it. And so my correction here is that this is increasing market capitalizations in the price of these stocks here, right? And so, you know, I know that you're a big, big Buffett fan. You know, you you kind of trudge out there to the Oracle of Omaha, his, his annual summits out there, eat the jelly beans, drink the cherry Coke or whatever he does out there. Um, and so, you know, that old saying is price is what you pay, value is what you get. What I think is really interesting about these six names is that, you know, yes, these guys are outperforming in a, a tremendous banner. They're buying back a lot of their stock, at least in the Microsoft and the Apple. Um, and, and, you know, and that's helping these stock prices go higher. But you've also seen considerable multiple expansion guy. And that to me is the risk right here. And that concentration of those names. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, first of all, I love the fact that John Ehrlichman went from the Nixon administration into <laughs> tweeting about market cap increases. I mean, that's fascinating. The fact that you say W. Buffett, I mean, I just sort of really dig that. I don't know why. I just find I get a kick out of it. And just do the math on top of increases in valuations just in terms of the year. I mean, look at those numbers. It's staggering in terms of just those six names. Um, Look, I think it's problematic that the market's being basically held up by a dozen or so names, effectively, really six or seven names. And it's going to manifest itself in the NDX. If we lose certain these names, if we lose the Teslas, the Apples to a certain extent, Microsoft, what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to test again that uptrend line. It's been in, it's basically been intact since March. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at that, I mean, there's plenty of room to the downside, but it could go retest that above 15,000. And it's still, like you say, intact. It's not broken, you know, and in some ways it might be really healthy. So I guess at this point, if you think about the NASDAQ 100, you think about those five or six names, they make up about half the weight of this index of 100 stocks. There are dozens and dozens of stocks in the NDX that have crashed. For all intents and purposes, they have crashed. So we have a tale of two markets here. So if you're concentrating, in those large names, that's great. They'll continue to probably outperform, but you might want to see a 10% pullback, put a little fear in that. And then we have to talk about Apple. You mentioned it earlier, Guy. When you think about this thing, it has gained, I don't know, a half a trillion dollars in market cap in just a matter of months. So the concentration in these names is the danger right here because if they all were to go down together and we've seen that over the last 18 months periods where where they've done that now people are piling in because of the negative interest rates because of the moats that they have with their balance sheets because of their relative cheapness on a valuation basis especially to some of these higher growth but less profitable names but that is the sort of action in nearly a 3 trillion dollar market cap company that will need to correct itself so maybe it comes back to that 50 day moving average you can see where it is at 
154, but that's a ways away. And if Microsoft were to do the same thing, if NVIDIA were to do the same thing, if Alphabet were to do the same thing, we're going to have a good old-fashioned sell-off in the broad market. Apple, uh, people were hell-bent. I guess the market was hell-bent. For whatever reason, I think people get a kick out of this on getting a $3 trillion, um print in terms of market cap. And I think we got close. Maybe we got there. It was supposed to be like 182 or something in terms of the level. And I think we got right around. It doesn't really matter. But I got to tell you something. In the course of about two days, we've sold off 10 bucks. Now, look at this chart carefully because since March, we've had five, four or five, probably five, significant peak to trough declines. Go back and look in March, see what happened in the fall, see what happened again in March of this year. I mean, then again later, uh, excuse me, in September. I mean, some pretty significant moves along the way. Now, a great uptrend, yes. Have we seen peak to trough declines? Without question. I think we're on the verge of one now. Again, Apple can trade down to 155 and this uptrend is still intact. But in terms of percentage move, that's a pretty significant move. And I do think if you look at the volume in the name over the last week and a half, two weeks, uh, Apple's trading a significant amount of volume, which goes back to something I said earlier. I think a lot of people are piling in at exactly the wrong time. Yeah. And I would also say, you know, timing of that, to your point, Guy, is that we have a few weeks left in the year and, and money obviously has to reallocate. I think this could set up as a really great trade. There are a bunch of really good tech names that got way ahead of their skis as far as valuations are concerned that are down 30, 40, 50 percent or so. And they will get sold right into the end of the year because a lot of portfolio managers will not want to have them on their books, but they may set up as great buys into 2022. And then the piling into some of these names it might be the opposite way. Now, that's going to be a hard trade to do, and you're going to have to pick some stocks to do it, but I think it's really important to keep an eye on it. And lastly, on Apple, that thing could pull back to that uptrend guy, which it might do, and that would be from the highs, a 20% peak to trough decline. And so that would be the place to reload. If you love Apple for all the buzzwords, what they may or may not do in AR and VR and 5G super cycle and blah, you know, all the other BS, you know, you're going to get your opportunity to buy it. That's kind of my point. Don't make mistakes buying up 25% in a very short period of time. It will come your way. What do they call it when somebody's like a hitter, when they do a lot of really cool things? What's they the call you a hitter. They oh, a hitter. A hitter. Okay, yeah. well then let's slide it, Earl, because yeah. where were you last night, Dan, Nathan? Last I was at night. Time Magazine's Person of the Year unveiling, which was pretty cool. Who was it, guy? It was uh, Elon Musk. And yeah. apparently he must have been, while he was sitting on stage with his son or daughter or baby, I don't know, if it must have been his baby. He must have <laughs> tweeted something about the Dogecoin because... You know, he puts out a tweet and off things go. I mean, think about there's just so many things to be concerned about. I mean, this Elon Musk time man person of the year is is clearly one of them. Yeah. I mean, listen, we talked about it on Fast Money last week. It, it is kind of interesting. I mean, when we think about markets, I mean, like some of the personalities, some of the products, some of the services, some of the companies, they've just transcended markets. They really are part of pop culture right now. And when you think of Elon Musk, I actually think he's a perfect pick. You know, go back to May when he was on Saturday Night Live and everyone thought, oh man, why is he doing that? And people loved it. They thought he was great. He was human. You know, he was talking about the Dogecoin back then. It had that huge move. I think it got to about 70 some cents or something and then crashed after that. That's just perfect market psychology. I mean, listen, he obviously has a vested interest in this thing. He likes Dogecoin. He likes the idea of it. He probably owns a bunch of it, you know, that sort of thing. So he has, you know, some reasons to kind of tweet about it, talk about it. I, 
I don't get it. He's doing some important stuff as it relates to electric vehicles, as it relates to sending rockets and satellites, um, you know, to outer space. And then ultimately he wants to get to Mars. I just don't understand the fascination with this. The guy must be a robot. He's working on this Neuralink thing because he is just working on so much stuff. But we got to talk about the crypto because it's been a crazy year for crypto here, guy, um, other than Doge. I'm real coins here. This Bitcoin. 69,000 down to what? 47,500. Um, pretty substantial move. It's sitting right on its 200-day moving average. It has broken that uptrend from the summer when it traded as low as like 29,000 here. This is going to be one that'll be really interesting to track because it has really, you know, not performed that particularly well. If you think that it started the year um, somewhere around 25,000 or something like that, and here it is, is trading at 47,000. I mean, in a lot of ways, there were other stocks that you could have bought that might have been you know, less risk, right, on an adjusted basis and perform just as well, especially if this thing's going lower. What's your take on the psychology about Bitcoin right now, guy? Well, I think this is one of those things people like to buy it. The higher it goes, the more they buy. And and then it stands to reason, although I think the real wonks, the holders are actually looking at this as an opportunity. I think for most people, they're getting a little concerned here. Now, we've seen a 50% effectively retracement of that low that we saw over the summer, 29, 30,000 in the recent high. Here we are. And you mentioned it. We're right at the 200-day moving average. But it doesn't trade particularly well. And you have to wonder, what's the battleground going to be towards the rest of the year? I happen to think, and we'll see if I'm right, I think we're going to go back and take a look at that 30,000 level that we saw late summer. And we'll see what happens, not only obviously to crypto, some of the crypto names, but the broader market as well, because I'm still convinced that there's some correlation between investors and traders in Bitcoin and some of these high-flying names in the broader market. Well, I think that's a great point. You brought that up on different instances over the course of the year here and talk about correlations of the stock market. And it hasn't been that correlated um, you know, yet. But the point is that, that there's a lot of money that's kind of trapped in these things that people have felt this kind of community-based reason to kind of hold on. But sooner or later, if you have big gains and you've been trading a lot, you might have to raise money for taxes or you might have moved some money into some NFTs. And I think this is the NFT thing is going to be really interesting. Let's just take a quick look at Ethereum, the outperformance in Ethereum to Bitcoin this year is pretty startling. Um, And a lot of that has to do with things like NFTs that are built on top of the Ethereum network and you use ETH for gas fees. And then the other one would be DeFi, decentralized finance, a lot of stuff going on in and around smart contracts. This one's sitting right on that uptrend from those summer lows here. You see the 200 day down there, um, you know, a couple hundred or a few hundred points away. This is one that I keep reloading on. I don't feel the same way as I do about Bitcoin there. But again, this will be really interesting to see if it finds some support, makes a new high in the year end. Um, I'd love to see it test that 200 day. I'd be buying more. All right, guy, we got to get out of here because we got more important and more important people to talk about or talk with. Well, you mentioned Trapped. I love Bruce Springsteen's version of Trapped. It's just a great song. You should listen to it live. It's one of my top 10 Springsteen tunes, but this is my number one guest. And that would be the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. Uh, before you opine on the charts that you brought, you heard Dan and I waxing poetic here. Any thoughts, Chris Vecchio? Hi, guys. Good to see you again. Yes, I think it's really interesting that Mark Benioff's Time magazine, of which he is also an investor in SpaceX, names Elon Musk person of the year, who happens to be the founder of SpaceX. Not self-serving whatsoever. Uh, when we talk about what's going on in the Dogecoin space, you know, every time Elon Musk pumps it publicly, there tends to be a fall thereafter. I mean, his Saturday Night Live appearance coincided with the top in Dogecoin. Uh, and, and so I, I do think there's a little bit of a cynic in me. But 
Um, cynicism aside, there was actually a really interesting research note that was put out several years ago by this gentleman on Twitter by the name of Jawad Mian, and he was quoting Piper Jaffrey's uh, cult of personality about Twitter and Elon Musk, uh, rather. And what he pointed out was that when Tesla's Elon Musk is named person of the year by Time Magazine, that would be the time to sell Tesla. That was four years ago. So I'm curious if this is the end of the enthusiasm uh, for these disruptive tech names. As we know, we're going into a Fed rate hike cycle right now. And you look at Kathy Wood's RK fund, it has been really underperforming the NASDAQ this year. Uh, in fact, as of yesterday, if you were the average investor in ARK, okay, you are now underwater. So moving into this Fed rate hike cycle, some of these uh, small cap uh, disruptive names appear to be imperiled right now in the short term. And that's lining up with our Fed rate hike odds right now, which interestingly enough, despite the fact that Powell's retired the term transitory from the Fed's lexicon, rate hike odds haven't moved all that much over the past few weeks. It's almost as if the bond market is in charge right now, telling the Fed what the Fed's going to do. The Fed already knows what it's going to do because the bond market's been telling it what it's going to do for the past several weeks and months, which is raise rates. Now, consistent with what's going on with the U.S. Treasury yield curve, the 2510 butterfly, as well as the Eurodollar contract spreads to the end of 2023, the Fed will need to increase its rate of tapering to $30 billion per month at tomorrow's meeting in order to be able to raise rates by June 2022. And I think that's where the market's been leading for several weeks now. I think that's the market's continuing to tell us. And so I'm curious, if all this is priced in, do you guys think that the Fed could surprise to the upside? Could we get a hawkish reaction here? Or will this be another central bank that says, you know, Omicron variant, sense of concern, perhaps there is some dovish jawboning in between the lines? It's interesting, Chris. I, I love that question. And, and my response, if they had not chose, if Jerome Powell didn't go out publicly and say, we're retiring transitory, his words, not mine. I would agree with you there, but I can't believe in two weeks time they would go from retiring transitories and hawkish they've been to completely reversing course on the back of this variant and getting dovish. That's me. Now, if they do that, good for them. The market will probably love it. But again, I think it will speak to their credibility. I don't know if Dan has any thoughts there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, again, and I think you already know the answer. Like you guy, you would like to say a good lawyer already knows the answer to the question he's going to ask. And, and it is a provocative one. And I think really, Chris, you know, what it comes down to me is that, you know, go back to, and we've talked about this on Market Call with you over the last few weeks. If we had a situation where the stock market kind of went into a free fall, then the Fed just starts jawboning a little bit. They figure out some other language. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I, I mean, like that, that's just kind of the thing that, that, that they have the ability to do and they have the ability to do it with some governors and then people like us pundits or market participants or whatever we have to parse through it all but i guess you know the, the point is very simple to me it seems like i'm caught up in your trap again nice. that's just again and again and again the sort of thing that investors have to be cognizant of the fed's little traps love what you did there dan obviously we had to talk currencies because that's your bally wick just like saying that word chris euro the euro is not just facing the Fed this week, but it also has the European Central Bank rate decision this coming Thursday. And unlike the Fed, which has been jawboning and signaling that it's going to be moving towards a faster stimulus withdrawal and eventual rate hikes in 2022, the ECB remains in the exact opposite camp. The ECB President Christine Lagarde has been telling us that inflation is now a hump. You know, we go up and then we're going to come back down, uh, almost suggesting that the market is completely wrong in pricing in a rate hike. So, uh, when we look at the divergence between ECB and Fed policy that's on our doorstep right now, it just speaks to the potential for a weaker euro dollar. This trend line that's dissecting across the screen from 
uh, mid left to bottom right. That is that long-term descending trend line from the 2008-2014 swing highs. And right now we're putting in a symmetrical triangle over the past month right below there. So in context of the preceding move, which over the past few months was to the downside in euro dollar, one has to view this technical pattern as a continuation effort lower. Uh, and I think the table is set this week where if the Fed doesn't surprise us, I do think that juxtaposition the ECB draws between itself and the Fed on Thursday morning uh, could be the catalyst for another steep decline in the euro. I will point out, however, one concern that I have about dollar strength right now in the near term, not just the seasonality tendency over the last five or 10 years to the greenback, but the positioning in the market, the futures market per the COT uh, report the CFTC puts out every week shows that traders are now the most net long the U.S. dollar since October 2019, and the dollar index was trading closer to 98 at that time. So we may be a little bit oversaturated here in terms of uh, market positioning, but the dollar index being basically an inverse image of the euro, euro is 57.6% of the dollar index. It does appear like it is in the throes of a consolidation after an uptrend, which is generally speaking considered to be a continuation effort higher. And so the dollar index looks well suited to continue those gains. Uh, ultimately, if we do see a little bit more chop here the next few days, I am looking for bullish resolution outside of this triangle. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, you know, the longest they've been in quite some time. And that's probably true. It's probably the TLT, probably the shortest the market's been in quite some time. Obviously expecting 10-year yields to go higher, and maybe the two will rectify themselves. And maybe we've seen it to a certain extent with the bond move back down to that, you know, 141 level in the 10-year. Now here we are, 145, 146. We'll see. But I'm here what you're saying. Maybe people got too much on one side of those, both those boats. And now we're just sort of evening out. But the last thing we need to look at, because I do think this is interesting, is gold. You heard me talking about it before. You know where I stand. I want to try to remain bullish, although the price actions suggest I should be anything but. Well, you know, gold doesn't have a dividend, doesn't have a coupon. There are no cash flows. And so it tends to track what's going on with U.S. real yields. Everyone's screaming about the recent high inflation readings for good reason. You know, the seeing your paycheck decrease little by little. Uh, do this invisible tax every month isn't comfortable. But the fact of the matter is the market doesn't think that inflation is here to stay. Long-term inflation expectations have been edging down. The U.S. real yield on the 10-year basis is up by about 20 basis points over the past month. And so this creates uh, a deleterious situation for gold prices. And now when you look at the technicals, we're seeing that the uptrend from the August and September swing lows has broken. And now we're on the cusp of a Fed rate hike cycle. You know, everyone says tapering isn't tightening. And yes, that's true. But one necessarily precedes the other. And if we're going to see U.S. nominal rates go up, in turn, arresting some of those longer-term growth and inflation expectations, the odds are that U.S. real yields continue to grind higher as well. That's not great for those uh, disruptive names in the tech space. That's also not great for gold prices. So um, I've said before, if we see gold trade between 1760 and 1800 this month, it wouldn't be a surprise to me. The way the table is set right now, though, traders need to be concerned because after several failed attempts to climb above that multi-month tread line, it now finally appears that we're tilting to the downside. Watch what I'm going to do here. Chris Vecchi, deleterious. Chris Vecchio is a stud. Daily FX rocks. That, my friends, is haiku <laughs> using deleterious, which is a great haiku word in it. Yes, I just used my fingers to count because when you get to my age, Chris Vecchio, you have to do that. So thanks for joining us, Dan. Give me 15 seconds uh, wrap up here. Oh, listen, I, I'm I'm with Vecchio there on the gold guy. I know you were trying to stay bullish, but I think that's saying something about inflation expectations also, because, you know, listen, you old timers, you know, that's that that was your hedge against the inflation here and they're just not paying attention to it. So thanks, Chris Vecchio. That was awesome. Guy Dami, you the man.
Today is the 14th of December, which means next week will be December 21st when we come back. Still, I believe, Sagittarians out there, although we will turn over to Capricorns. I want to thank the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. Dan, get ready. Today's market call, Macro, was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Open Exchange, Dan, because as you know, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world, and Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange. Get ready, Dan, for binary options. Are you ready? Call spreads and, Dan Nathan? Knockouts. Damn straight. See you next week.